If you will take your uh, Bibles or electronic devices and turn to Mark uh, chapter 1, we will continue our study there. It can be found on page 1063 in the Bible that we provide for you in the pew. This section or text that we're going to look at this morning is where Jesus is calling his disciples. And right away, I want you to notice that Jesus breaks a cultural norm uh, at the very beginning of his ministry. You see, in the ancient world, uh, rabbis don't go look for students. Students go look for a rabbi. And here we have Jesus uh, going out and choosing his disciples at the beginning of his ministry which no rabbi in the ancient world would have ever done. But I want you to see that this is a paradigm that we're being given, a paradigm of the Christian life, the way to follow Jesus. Just as uh, these group of men were singing about following Jesus, the natural question is, well, how do you follow him? And so this morning, we're going to look at that paradigm of following Jesus. So hear the word as I read it. We're just Uh, Going from verse 14 to verse 18, following is him repeating this process of calling other disciples, but the paradigm is still there. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, after John was arrested, uh, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. May God help us to understand this, his word. When I was a young uh, Christian, uh, I was involved in an organization that had summer uh, camps, we called them programs in Memphis, and um, a bunch of uh, guys uh, went up to Memphis for the summer where we worked all day. I worked for a, a moving company, and at night we studied the Bible. We'd go on to campus and share the gospel uh, with students at the University of Memphis. But on Sunday, because we weren't from Memphis, we'd go visit around other churches and uh, and, and see the taste of Uh, the church in Memphis. And so we were at this one uh, very large uh, church in Memphis and in their uh, Northex, in their uh, foyer, were all these uh, pamphlets that you could pick up and and read. And and I picked one up and sat down in the pew waiting for the service and I was reading. and, And the cover of the pamphlet, and this is why I picked it up, it said, what is the second syllable, dot, dot, dot. And so it would ask the question as you turn the page, what's the uh, second syllable of kissing? Sin. What's the second uh, syllable of cussing? Sin. And then the last one, you'd have to get this if you're Southern. Uh, What's the second syllable of dancing? Sin. Historically, Christians and churches have had an awkward relationship with dancing. Modern dance, definitely no. Sanctified square dancing, okay. 
plenty of room for the Holy Spirit. The problem is, is when you look in the Bible, there's so much dancing. David dances before the Lord. You have uh, uh, dancing in the temple. And then you have the Psalms. The, one of the most common commands in the Psalms outside of praise the Lord is dance before the Lord. This paradigm of dancing, this dancing of grace, is the metaphor that I'd like us to use this morning. My friend, he calls it the waltz because the waltz is a simple three-step dance for us to remember. And because there are three uh, steps to this idea of the Christian life that our text lays out to us that Jesus is preaching here, repent, believe, and follow... I just thought we would use that metaphor of dancing. They are steps for us to learn, and we will uh, trip over our feet, and we will fail and fall. But if we keep pursuing and learning and relearning these same three basic steps, we will demonstrate a beautiful uh, dance of grace not only in our own hearts, but before a watching world. So let's look at those three steps as a paradigm for the Christian life. And the very first one is repentance. And so you naturally want to know what repentance means, because if he he starts the gospel by saying repent, if you don't know what it means, you don't know how to begin the dance. And without knowing how to begin, you certainly can't dance. And so... Repentance simply means a change of direction or, or a turning back or a change of mind. According to verse 14, Jesus has come to proclaim a gospel of God. Well, what's this gospel of God? In the fullness of time, the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus is the king. That's what we We're introduced to last week that the first eight chapters of Mark introduces Jesus as the king. And the the part that focuses upon him being king is that he comes with a kingdom. He's establishing the kingdom of God on earth. And therefore, whenever the hearts of people turn back to God, wherever that happens you see the picture and the demonstration of the kingdom. That is, don't think of the kingdom of God as a geographical boundary, but rather the rule of God. Wherever the hearts are tender toward their creator, there is the kingdom. Wherever people's hearts have turned back to God, there is the kingdom. And so the natural question is, is if we're supposed to repent... And that's part of the kingdom. Well, how? What are we exactly repenting of? Well, let me use a a phrase that Jack Miller, who was a a PCA pastor who passed away about 15 years ago, would often say. And it, it tends to be kind of humorous until you begin to think about it. He would say, cheer up. You're worse than you think. And what he meant by that is that typically when we talk about repentance, 
and need, the need for repentance, we tend to think of uh, the, the behaviors that we do, the things we say, the thoughts we have. And Jack Miller was getting at that what causes those? Let's say you get angry when uh, uh, something that goes on in your life doesn't go the way in which it ought to go. You get angry. And so Jack would say, you're worse than you think because you need to find out why you get angry. You get angry because you think you're owed something. You think that, that God is not good enough or that you can trust him. And so you get angry. And that's why he's saying you need to cheer up. That no matter what you see in your life that you can repent of, you can always go beneath that and it's worse. And most of us, our entire lives, stay at the surface. And so we're able to commend ourselves to other people because we never go beneath. We never go down where repentance changes. That's the story of the human race. Almost from the very beginning. The very first two people that walked on the planet was given everything that you can imagine that is good. They were, they were given a place to live. They were given food to eat. They were given a lush home. They were, they were given relationship of husband and wife. They were given God himself. In the cool of the day, in the dawn of time, he would walk with them. But it was never enough. And... God must be holding something back because he gave us a command not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He told us there was one thing that he would withhold from us and we need to know what that is because maybe that's what's keeping us from being ultimately happy. Whatever that is, I don't know what it is. Isn't that how the serpent uh, uh, attempts the first uh, appearance? He comes and he says, uh, 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 God... God is holding back from you. He's not telling you something. If you eat of this, you'll be just like God. Then what happens? They eat of the tree and they're out of the garden. And, 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 and God says to the woman, but someday one of your children is going to fix and make all things new. And so every mother is longing for that until Abraham is called out of uh, Ur. And he says, I'm going to give you a family. And from that family, the nations are going to be blessed. And, and what happens to that family? They really grow. And, and, and then uh, uh, one of the uh, children's children gets sold into slavery. And so all the Jews end up becoming slaves in Egypt for four hundred years and then miraculously God uh, gets them out of uh, slavery they go across uh, the the Red Sea into the wilderness and the first thing they do while they're out there is to complain that it's not good enough he's giving them a bread by day and water when they need it he shows up by fire and he shows up by cloud and yet they say he's not enough and so they make their own a golden calf. It's the story of human nature since the fall. That every time God blesses us, we turn back to him and say, 
it's not good enough. You're not good enough. Because there's still something about my life that I want better. This nation of Israel that they go into of land of uh, milk and honey, that what's the common theme in the book of Judges? It's after every judge that delivers them and that they wanted a king like all the other nations. You can see it after every judge that they want a king. And so God gives them one. A guy named Saul, not so good. They give, he gives them what they long for because he was supposed to be the king. God is our king. But because he's not physically here, he's not good enough. Give us, give us a physical king like all the other nations. And so he gives them Saul and then he gives them David and, and then Solomon. And then the, when Solomon, after Solomon dies, the nation is torn in two between the northern and the southern kingdom. And, and, in, and in 722, the northern kingdom is, is defeated by Assyria and, and carried off. And then the southern kingdom, 100 years later, is defeated by the Babylonians and taken into exile for 70 years. Do you see what's happening over and over again? God is not good enough. God doesn't give us what we want. He gives us what he wants us to have. He tests over and over again. Will you submit to me? Will you love me only? Will I be enough for you? And then they come back out of exile. They, they rebuild that temple and the old man weep because it's a former glory. And then God goes silent for 400 years. And what do they hear after 400 years of silence? The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Repent for all of the reason you do what you do. Because I'm not enough for you. You always want more. That's why when, when the religious leaders come to Jesus and they come to Jesus and they, they want to test him like they do everyone. They ask him, what's the greatest commandment? He could pick anything. He could pick, have no other gods before me. But instead he says, let me do it this way. Let me summarize in two ways. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind. And the second is like the first, love your neighbor as yourself. How we doing? Do we really love God with all of our heart? I, you know, if that verse just didn't have the alls, we'd be great. But with all of your heart, this is with all of you. Why don't we love God with all of our heart, and all of our soul and all of our strength and all of our mind? with our entire being is because we're always holding back a little bit just in case he doesn't come through. Just in case God doesn't fulfill his promise. Now you know why Jack Miller says, cheer up. You're worse than you think. Where are you tempted to not believe God today, that he's enough for you. And what behaviors are you doing because you don't trust him enough? 
That's why the dance begins with repentance. The more you understand repentance, the more you love grace. And the reverse is true too. The more you appreciate the covering of grace, the more you love repentance. God graciously and tenderly and progressively exposes our sin to us so that we can turn back to him. That's his desire. Unfortunately, some of us get depressed and discouraged when we see our sin. Many beat themselves up over their sins because there is an alternative dance. Because this dance of grace is not the only dance out there. There's also one called performance. That if I'm good enough, that if I can just be good enough, then he will like me. Brennan Manning in his little book called The Ragamuffin Gospel says this, the temptation of our age is to look good without being good. I'll say it again. The temptation of our age is to look good without being good. If I try to get my act together, then God will like me. He will accept me. He will love me. The truth is, no matter how hard we try to be good, we can't be good enough. And what depresses us about sin is only the tip of the iceberg of what should depress us. We only see the fraction of what's wrong in our hearts. And that is grace too. It would crush us. So God exposes our sin to us in drips, in drabs, in increments, so that we do not lose hope. So, but the goal is that we would return to the only lover of our souls. And that is repentance. He exposes our hearts to heal them, not to punish us. Paul Tripp puts it this way in Whiter Than Snow. Here is the beautiful message of the gospel. Even though I have bowed again and again to an endless catalog of God replacements, even though I have loved myself more than I have loved God, even though I have rebelled against God's kingdom and sought to set up my own kingdom, God comes to me in grace and wraps his arms of love around me and begins a process that will result in the total transformation of the core of my personhood, my heart. Which brings us to the second step. If the first step is that we would learn repentance, deep, profound, life-altering repentance, then we must believe in the gospel, a gospel of grace. Jack Miller would not just say, cheer up, you're worse than you think. That would be depressing. He would go on and say, cheer up, the gospel is better than you imagine. It is not enough for you to see your sin. It is bad news if there isn't also some really good news. The rescuing grace of Jesus Christ. The king came, but he came to die. This is the king's way. He came for a cross. And on that cross, he died for all of our sins. 
including the times that we tried to substitute him, when we tried to tell him he wasn't good enough, and when we tried to get what he was not giving because we thought it was best. No matter how much God reveals of the iceberg of sin in our lives, his grace is sufficient to cover them, every one of them. And that makes, and that makes repentance a strange window in order to see our joy. You know you're not dancing the dance of grace when you think God will treat you as your sins deserve. You're not dancing grace as long as you believe that God is going to treat you as your sins deserve. Because he has already treated Jesus as your sins deserve. Grace is only sweet when you realize because of Christ, God will not treat you as your sins deserve. But he treats you as his son deserves. Jesus came to forgive us of our sins and to free us of the power of sin over us. Jesus removes shame and guilt that is caused by our sin. And that is why the gospel is better than you and I can even imagine. He just doesn't say it's okay. He makes it okay. Jesus tells us that when he leaves, he will not leave us as orphans. You know what an orphan is? Someone who thinks they're by themselves, someone who is trying to protect themselves because there is no one looking out for them. And though they, they, they uh, steal and lie, it's all in order to survive because they think there's no one else out there. And Jesus says, I didn't just forgive you, I made you family. So you are not an orphan. If God loved you so much that he gave his only son, how will he not freely give us all things. And so the second step of the dance, if the first step is repentance, the second step is to believe that gospel that you are forgiven and free, which allows us to come to this third step. Jack Miller, nobody I know quotes this third step. They always stop. Cheer up, you're worse than you think. Cheer up, uh, the gospel's better than you believe. Nobody quotes the third step. Jack Miller used to say, okay, the third step is cheer up, come and die. Now, who wants to hear that? But that's exactly what he's asking of the disciples. The kingdom of God is a place where we willingly and joyfully choose to die to ourselves for the sake of the kingdom. Jesus doesn't ask his disciples just to repent of their sins and believe in the gospel, but as an implication of the gospel to come and follow him the rest of our lives into the kingdom where he will make us fishers of people. The theme of Mark is that if anyone will come after me, Jesus says, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Our text says in verse 18, when he calls them to repentance, when he calls them to believe in the gospel, they immediately, I love that, the, the second most common word in Mark after and. 
immediately. Mark wants you to have the impression that as soon as they believed, they got out of their boats and they followed him. Obviously, they had no idea what following Jesus would entail, where they would go, what they would do, and what deaths would await. Every last one of these men, save John, would follow Jesus to their deaths. Most of them, a tortured, painful, horrible death for the sake of proclaiming the gospel. And you say, well, one got John. Yes, he followed Jesus to an island where he lived alone, away from God's people, for the sake of the gospel. Now, there's a time when everyone hears this gospel for the very first time. Or maybe you've been hurt, God has exposed some sin in your life, and you just need time to think about what God has done for you. Let me, let me call that a hot tub, because my kids love hot tubs, because they're warm, and in a lot of ways, they're invigorating, especially if it's cold outside, which is why you would get in one. And that's the way the gospel of grace is. Some of us need to just, for a period of time, bathe in the gospel. But the truth is, we will be in and out of that tub our whole lives. But eventually, we're going to be called to get out of that tub and out into ministry and into sacrifice. That's why C.S. Lewis at the end of the Narnia tales will say, the Christian life is about going further up and further in. But at the same time, Aslan is on the move. How do you equate those two? As we are going further up and further into the gospel, we go out into the ministry into the world where the kingdom is not yet. Because wherever you go, there is the kingdom. When my heart turns from sin, it turns to a concern for what God wants and what others need. It is only when I love God above all else am I free to love my neighbor. That's why Jesus puts it in the order that he does. It's Galatians 2.20 where Paul gets this concept and he says, I've been crucified with Christ. Here's the part. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The one that I live by faith, who who died for me. The gospel principle in Mark is whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. If you're willing to lose your life for the gospel, you will see the glorious face of God. As long as you have conditions, as long as you put up barriers and fail to believe the gospel, you won't see his face. Here at EP, we we talk a lot about the gospel of grace. We sing a lot. I mean, thank David. We sing a lot about the gospel of grace every Sunday. 
But I wonder sometimes if it's just enough grace to soothe our guilty conscience or just enough grace to allow us to pursue our own self-indulgence. Or is it enough grace that frees us to come and die? Yes, grace covers our sins. And grace makes us children in the kingdom. But do we also believe with equal zeal and confidence that grace helps us to come and die for the sake of the kingdom? This is the dance of grace. It's three easy steps that we repeat over and over again. We get the impression because of the stories today that there's a happily ever after. That is, you have all this uh, trial and hard time and then you, you, you uh, go through this harrowing experience and then you arrive and everything is happily ever after. But that's not the Christian life. The Christian life is one in which there are successes and failures. And the way in which we dance to the music of the, of the kingdom is that we repent over and over again. You never finish repentance until you go be with the Lord. And you believe in the gospel that He covers the sins that He forgives. But it never ends there. It's always a call to come and die to yourself and follow Him. The truth is that you and I will be relearning those steps over and over again. We're going to trip over our feet. And we're going to fail and fall. But keep dancing. Eventually... You are going to dance the dance of grace and it is going to be beautiful in your life. In the life of our church and the life of our community. Imagine what it would be like if instead of people thinking that people in the church have it all together. That, that they uh, uh, feel superior to us. That they've got life all uh, figured out and just want to tell us about it. Instead, we are just like them, except we're dancing to a different tune. And that we have learned to repent, believe, and follow. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you're teaching me that lesson and you're teaching our congregation that lesson. And I pray that you teach our, our city that. That there is a dance that brings life and joy and hope that no matter what has happened, no matter how far we have uh, moved from your heart, that our hearts have been distant, we've gone through a dry period, a period where we feel that you're not involved in our lives or we're not involved in yours, and yet we are called to return like a father on a porch who has been looking for his son to come home. He gets up off that porch and he runs to us and said, my son who was lost has been found. He was blind, but now he sees. Father, I pray that we come home, that we believe the gospel that we are forgiven, and that we follow our king. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.